0: The
1: best books in the world. The best books in the world. Yo 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 yo. Yeah yeah. Mother mother mother. hello and welcome to the best books in the world episode five chapter five of katie for 40's modern classic secret garden i've been thinking a lot since the last episode about um this uh this lucian fellow and as it turns out After the fact, I told myself that if you listen to the last episode, I was telling myself, but I wasn't listening, that Lucien is gay. And I think that's partly because he sounds like Craig Revel Horwood, and partly because he's actually shown no interest in Philly whatsoever. And yet, it feels to me like this is still going to be the direction they're going, because there was no no actual story development at all with that. What in the movies one would call a meet cute, usually when two people who are going to become uh, romantically involved meet in a movie uh, it's a pivotal point and there is always some sort of problem conflict and there are decision's made and there is a change in their relationship but there's very very little actually changed in that scene aside from him saying it was cool you knew how to start a fire so the the book so far isn't kind of screaming understated realism to me and if it was i would probably think that would that means a lot but i it doesn't feel like it does in this in this book tonally it barely even reads as as any kind of change in the relationship at all and also he's called lucian i mean i mean if that isn't the name of a wedding planner i don't know what is. and i wonder about how ridiculously posh he is and if he's not as as i assume If he's not gay, then I'm surprised he didn't snigger when Philly introduced herself as Philly, because I had I would assume that he's already referred to her as a Philly, lovely Philly. Um, it's a dream for him. His eyes would light up for that. He would think he would think it would be the funniest, uh, funniest joke in the world, if he actually had any level of attraction to her at all. So, what, what is he, and why should I care about him? Because he's really. Very, very, very dull right now. Anyway, let's move on. Chapter 5. We're focusing back on Lorna now, because she's going to the party. So, on with the show. Uh, Secret Garden, Chapter 5. Lorna dressed carefully for the dinner party, because normally she dresses very carelessly. Her pride was at stake. She was never going to be able to compete with a beautiful woman in her mid-thirties, but she didn't want to look like a hag. Okay, we're focalising on her. She believes she can't compete with Kirsty. Who knows? I assume that she can, otherwise I don't really know what the point or direction of this story is. But uh this is just how she feels at the moment, so fair enough. She'd given her naturally red hair a bit of help. Because the box assured her she was worth it. Oh, really? I wonder what brand you're using there. For the little little reference there to the to the real world. Which this is not. And it had come out a pleasingly rich dark colour. Wait a second. This is product placement. You may as well be saying it. Katie for 40
0: sponsored by Loria.
1: Then she had manipulated her curls with tongs until they had looked deliberate and not just there by chance.
0: Well, tell us what brand the tongs were then. Come on. GHD, the proud sponsor of Katie for 40
1: She decided she would wear her favourite outfit. Never in fashion, but never quite out of it either. It was a black fitted jacket with a high collar and a peplum. Oh my God, I hate... Right, okay, so for some stupid reason, I ended up watching too much of The Great British Sewing Bee. And in that show, I learned a lot of sewing words. And my least favourite, and the one that I hate the most, is peplum. It is it it makes me it makes me feel like I want to wretch. It almost sounds like a wretch. I'm not gonna say it anymore. I just I just hate it. Also, I think they're pointless and I think they're stupid. We apologise for the delay in delivery of this story. The reader thinks he's better off giving fashion advice than just getting the fuck on with it. She put it with a dark gold scoop neck top and a long dark green skirt and flat boots. By the time she put on her favourite amber necklace, large beads surrounded by silver, with earrings that vaguely matched, she was relatively satisfied with her appearance. Do you know this actually reminds me, the, the incredible attention to detail that this has, of exactly what her outfit is, like it's obvious why there's such attention to detail on the outfit, because of how this book is marketed very specifically to people that would pay attention to that type of thing. But what it actually reminds me of is Warhammer novels, because in a Warhammer novel, don't know if you've ever read one, but I have, there is an incredible preoccupation to describe in detail the colouring and contours and styling of all of the armour and armoury that all of the characters have, just in case... It has to be described in such perfect detail, just in case you ever wanted to paint one it's just it's the it's the weirdest little kind of foible in these books because it sticks out like a sore thumb it's a it's they they are books about wars, and they just take these odd little moments just outside of the battles to describe in acute detail the exact type of gold sheen on the man's shield or the dark. Grade steel of his helmet like all of that stuff it's this it's exactly this but for a different market so I completely understand this the difference being that one is for men who like toys and the other is for women who like clothes I guess so they can dress like this woman who is a, a role model is she a role model Is she a role model? Is she even relatable? Who feels like they're like her? I mean, there must be some people, but she's so disconnected from any actual reality, I don't know how anyone could actually relate to her. There are bits and pieces of it, of course, but still. Anyway, it was an outfit she'd been wearing with various changes on and off for years, and she always felt good in it. When she looked at herself, standing well back from her favourite badly lit mirror that was at the end of the hall, she felt she looked okay. She knew proper lighting would ruin this illusion and didn't risk it. Is it dark in the big house? Do they just have shit lighting in the whole big house? I mean, I'm assuming so. Otherwise, I would dress to look okay in like where I was going. Like, If where I was going had bad lighting, then that would be fine. But if where I was going did not have bad lighting, I would probably check just to see if I hadn't made a dreadful mistake, just to make sure. But I'm sure she knows what she's doing. I'm sure she's better than me at dressing. She felt she'd already contributed enough to the success of the evening for it to be unnecessary for her to bring a gift. Peter's wine cellar was one of his hobbies, and she had helped Philly with the floral arrangements. She would just go and be her charming self. Okay,
0: so generally the rule in writing is that you don't include stuff that you're not going to complete. You don't set up things that you're not going to pay off. So what we've got here is her deciding to go to a party empty-handed now that in and of itself is unremarkable and a reasonable decision for her to make but the compelling thing about a story is when the protagonist gets results they don't expect because of the decisions they make we've seen her now make an actual decision the decision is written down and presented to us in any other book, I would trust that that would have some sort of implication. She shows up to the party empty-handed and for some reason ends up regretting it. Let's, let's see if she does, because I suspect that it will not be a plot point at all.
1: At eight o'clock, she put on her ancient alpaca coat, still as glamorous now as it had been when she'd first brought it from a second-hand shop about ten years ago, because she's so and set off across the park to the house. Lorna had been single most of her adult life, Married only long enough to give her son his father's name, he wasn't giving away a lot else. And although there had been partners on and off, she mostly attended parties on her own. Yet she'd never quite got used to walking into a room full of chattering people and having to look round hoping to find someone she knew. Oh man, I hear you. That's absolutely relatable, I hate that shit. She usually did find someone, and if she didn't, she'd hit on the shyest looking person and introduce herself. It was always fine after the first 10 minutes or so. Yeah, you see, I can't do that. I think that's a coping strategy that, that women have developed because they're more resilient than men. Because I just wouldn't do it. I would look at that room of people and just, I wouldn't go in it. I just wouldn't go in it. I'm not there. I'm sorry, I'm not going. Why? Uh, I, because it means I will have to walk into uh, a, a room and uh, not know anyone immediately. And uh, I'm simply incapable of that. Sorry, ca- I cannot come to your party. Uh, uh, you, you make it untenable for me to attend. So well done, Lorna, you, you strangely gregarious woman. This time was different. This time she was going to meet the woman who had stolen her man. Ah, she even if the man in question had never seen her as more than a friend and confidant. She has. The front door was ajar, and she let herself in, leaving her coat on the sofa in the hall, hoping the fire was going well and she wasn't going to be cold. Then she opened the door to the drawing room and went in. She knew the dinner party was for ten people, but hadn't planned to be the last guest to arrive. She remembered belatedly that two couples were staying with Peter, and she now felt late. Oh, here you are, Lorna, said Peter, rising from the arm of the sofa where he'd been perched next to a very pretty woman, easily identifiable as Kirsty. Come and meet the people you don't know. This is Kirsty. He spoke proudly, as if she were a prize-winning racehorse that he had personally bred. Of course he fucking did, because this guy is a cunt. Lorna couldn't blame him. Well, I I fucking fucking can. can. She was lovely. She smiled warmly at Lorna. Hello, I've been dying to meet you. I've heard so much about you and have been all over your garden. And I gather you told us about Philly, who has been a lifesaver. She said this with so much emphasis that Lorna wondered if, unbeknownst to her, Philly was a trained first aider who'd been required to do CPR in the kitchen. Oh, Kirsty nodded. Bloody cooker broke down. Not only did Philly's grandfather supply a double electric hob, Doreen found a single, but Philly knew how to get the old Rayburn going, so we've got an oven. Unnecessary amount of detail there. All right, sweetie, said Peter, patting Kirsty's arm. I've promised we'll get a new one, a top-of-the-range range range with at least eight burners and a wok setting. Oh, fuck off. Whatever you want. Fuck off. You fucking fuck off. Stop. Oh, let me interject on this vaguely interesting story and literally the most dramatic thing that has happened in the whole book. To tell your new partner that you'll buy her a fucking cooker and tell her how many burners she can have and that she can put a fucking wok on it. Fuck off, you fucking fuck. I hate you so much. Peter, you are the pond scum. You are the worst. How could anybody be attracted to this fuck? Peter is a cunt, Peter is a cunt, Peter is a cunt, Peter is a cunt. Lorna had to laugh. Really, really. Peter's notorious meanness was going to be seriously challenged. She would probably have to put up with the idiosyncratic central heating, the lack of insulation or any modern convenience. If a broken cooker was pushing things too far, she'd probably have only asked for a simple four-burner budget model. Well, I'm very pleased about both those things. First, that Philly is such a star, although I did know that. And second, that this house is going to get a few mod cons. And your garden, went on Kirsty. It's going to be fabulous. Well, technically it's Peter's garden. Oh, I know that. But much to my disappointment, he doesn't seem very interested in it, said Kirsty, taking Lorna's hand and squeezing it. You see, that's the direction I'd go. That that's what I'd do in this. That's what should happen. Those two should get together. Lorna and Kirsty, they should get together, fuck Peter off, let him die alone. Let him have an accident. Let him have an accident because he refuses to uh make the electrics safe in his house. And he electrocutes himself and uh, there's no staff there because they've all left him because he doesn't pay them enough and he just rots there in the big house like forever and nobody finds him because nobody cares about him. That's that's what I want to see and I want um Lorna and Kirsty to just, like, they can live happily ever after, I don't care. I mean, Kirsty's a dial tone anyway, so whatever. But that's not what we're going to get, is it? That's not what we're going to get. Peter leant over and kissed Lorna's cheek. The whiff of aqua de palma that always worked for her added piquancy to the exchange. Hello, Peter, Anthea, Peter's mother, crossed the room towards the group in the middle. You look delightful, dear, she said, kissing Lorna. Do you know Bob? He's the mayor. I expect you recognise him because he's in every single issue of the local paper. It's not quite true, Anthea, said Bob, who obviously didn't know Anthea well enough to be completely relaxed in her company. But I am the mayor. He looked like a mayor, Lorna thought. Shaking his hand and smiling. I have met a few mayors and literally none of them look like mayors. I think a mayor is an ordinary person in a hat. That is what a mayor is. It's an incredible... I think to be mayor you have to be voted the the town's least remarkable person. And then you can be the mayor and they'll give you a, a hat and a gold chain. He looked at home in his dinner jacket and she was a bit disappointed not to see medals on his chest. That's because he hasn't earned any because he's absolutely normal. Kirsty put a hand on her arm. If you'll excuse us, Anthea, Bob, there are a couple of artists I'd like Lorna to meet. Wondering why, Lorna followed her to where two couples were sitting round a table chatting. A man, separate from the group, was inspecting the paintings. Lorna hoped the one he was looking at gained his approval, as it was one she had persuaded Peter to buy when they'd been to an exhibition together. This is Jamie, married to my old friend Nat. So they're Natalie and Jamie Chambers. Rosalind and Christopher Bloom. Oh, and that's Jack, she indicated the man who had moved on to the next painting, also one Lorna had endorsed. This is Lorna Buckthorn, Kirsty went on. She's restoring the garden for Peter and doing a whole lot else besides. Lorna smiled at the group, thinking that Peter must indeed have told Kirsty a lot about her and that if she'd met Kirsty in any other circumstances, she'd have liked her instantly. It was a shame she couldn't entirely commit to liking her now. Jack, said Kirsty, come and say hello. The man obliged. And this is Jack Garnett, said Kirsty. Lorna smiled at him. He was a few years younger than her, but seemed pleasant. He looked at her and frowned a little. "'Sorry,' he said. "Kirsty, who's this?' "'Not paying attention, Jack. This is Lorna Buckthorn.' "'Oh!' he said. "'You must think me very rude. I thought I recognised you.' He took her hand and squeezed it. "'Hello,' said Lorna, suddenly feeling scrutinised. At that moment, Philly came up with a tray of champagne. "'Oh, Philly,' said Lorna. "'How lovely. Just what I need. "'How's it all going? I gather you've averted catastrophe downstairs.' Philly, who did look slightly strained, smiled. Well, the cooker breaking down was a bit of a disaster. Jack took a glass of champagne too. I've got another glass somewhere, he said. Oh, it's okay, said Philly, we've got plenty of glasses. I'll be round with the bottle to top you up now. I'm sure everyone's got something to drink out of. Utterly fucking extraneous detail. None of this matters. What does that do? What What does that do? Philly is narrating the mechanics... Of being a waitress. What is that? Does that mean, oh, well, like, she knows how to be a waitress. That makes her really cool. Like, who cares? I don't give a fuck whether she's a good waitress or not. Is she a good person? Like, I did. I said the thing about the superpowers. But seriously, this is not the time for her to have some sort of fucking amazing talent for being a fucking waitress. I mean, like, that, that is not a character point. That is not a plot point. Just... Just get on with the get on with the narrative. What is the narrative? I don't care about how many champagne glasses they have, or if she even knows how many there are. It's not important. Philly's here under false pretenses, said Lorna. She's acting as a waitress, but really she's a wonderful plants woman. Nobody uses that word. Nobody uses that word. We I, I, I did I know we did the fact checking a couple of episodes ago, but I maintain. No fucker uses that word. She raises plants for the garden here. Whatever she does as a day job, she's been an absolute star for us, said Kirsty. If she's as good at raising plants, she must be brilliant. I'll go and get some more canapes. I'm not quite sure when they'll be serving dinner, said Philly after a quick glance at her watch. Well, the canapes are fabulous, said Natalie. I'm afraid we scarfed down the first lot in record time. Scarfed down? Is that a word? Is scarfed down a phrase that is actually valid and used by anybody? Is it though? Is it... Is it? I don't think it is. Scar- Let's just do the down. Down. to see if it's in Brand the dictionary. Is it? Scar- it's, oh, it's US. It's uf. We, we don't say it. It's a US idiom. You see, we would say scoff. We would say scoff. They say scarf. Uh, both mean the same thing. Uh, uh, I'm, bored. I'm bored. Anyway, so this fellow, he's called Jack. So... I mean, at least he's not Peter, so he's got that going for him. Uh, I'm assuming now that that's what's going to happen. Um, Kirsty and Peter are going to be a lovely couple. Lorna's going to uh, end up with Jack, and that was again another entirely unremarkable meet cute. They're just hello, sorry, uh, I wasn't listening. What's your name? Got it. Cool. And then she's just she's talking to somebody else. There's no, there's nothing happening there. Let's see how the evening. Um, let's see how the evening. Uh, pans out for them. Well, the canapes are fabulous, said Natalie. I'm afraid we scarfed down the first lot in record time. Jesus Christ. And if dinner is late, it's not the chef's fault, said Kirsty. Although I would say that. I recommended him. Peter came up to join the group, and Lorna couldn't help noticing how sweet he was with Kirsty. He didn't claim her with an arm around her waist or anything obvious. He just touched her arm and smiled down fondly at her.
0: Don't try and insult my intelligence by pretending this guy is some sort of social progressive... I don't care about him. Fuck this guy. Also, this bullshit just makes me feel sick.
1: Lorna looked away to spare herself and found she was still being studied by Jack. Rather than watch Peter and Kirsty, she went over to him. Are you still trying to remember where you've seen me? i probably got a doppelganger or something. He smiled and his severe features were hugely improved. You'd do nice if
0: you smiled a bit, love.
1: I'll work it out. In the meantime, tell me about you. Lorna didn't awfully like talking about herself, but she brought... Out her prepared patter. I'm a garden designer and restorer. I've been working on Peter's garden for about three years, but we've known each other since we were children. Is that why you got the job? Lorna laughed. No, that's because I'm also friends with Peter's mother, Anthea. Have you met her? We haven't been introduced, but going by what I've seen, she's a formidable woman. Lorna nodded. I don't know, man. I don't know, because a formidable woman would have gotten more money out of Peter for Philly. That's, that's what a formidable woman would have done. And if she is formidable and she chose not to do so, then she's a bad woman. Anyway, Lorna nodded. When she told Peter I was the one to get his garden into order, he was obliged to agree. She paused. So what do you do? I'm a stonemason, also a sculptor. I knew it. I knew he was an artist. I knew he was an artist. One, he wasn't paying attention. Two, he was looking at the art. I mean, it was just obvious. He's a, yeah, of course he is. He's an artist. He's nice. He's going to create a sculpture of her for the garden, and it's going to be hilarious. Philly appeared with a tray of things to eat. So how's it going down there? Lorna asked, taking a blini. Put it like this. Just as well there are plenty of canapes. Fill up, she suggested. Dinner will be a while. Lorna sipped her champagne. She knew there'd be plenty of drink, and she hoped everyone wouldn't be roaring drunk before they sat down to eat. And champagne, though delicious at the time, could give one the most monumental hangover. Jack's voice broke into her rather gloomy thoughts. I think I've worked out where I've seen you, but I'll have to check at home, he said. Do you live locally? Yes, pretty much. I can walk home from here so I can drink. Which is just as well. Peter always has lovely wine and masses of it. It's funny because in some ways, she stopped. Aware she was about to tell a complete stranger that their host was mean. That would have been disloyal. Or simply honest, because... I've only just met him, but he seems nice enough. Lorna was grateful that he'd overlooked her stumble. Nice enough for Kirsty, do you mean? As I'm a friend of Peter, I'm checking that Kirsty is nice enough for him. And I think she is, as far as I can tell. I don't really know her. We only met a couple of weeks ago, but... She has a reputation of being a mover and a shaker. My friends told me that once she has taken on a project, nothing will stop her seeing it through.
0: Well, I should fucking hope so, being a professional events organiser. If she has a reputation for giving up on shit,
1: then she'd be a very bad events organiser. And of course, it's always exciting to be invited to the big house for dinner. Is it? Is it, though? Is it always exciting to be invited to the big house for dinner? Is he excited because it lends him status? Going up to the big house for dinner is exciting for someone uh, looking to elevate their social status in 1780. But now, I mean, does anybody give a fuck? Because honestly, I fucking don't. In that instant, Lorna realised that Peter probably needed someone dynamic. While he had been a dynamic businessman in his private life, he was too laid back and lazy. He needed shaking up, needed to be made to spend his money where it was required and not save unnecessarily. She, Lorna, would have let him bumble on his own sweet way and put up with it. So how did you meet Kirsty? Wait, so has she just realised that Kirsty's better for him than she would be and she's just put that whole thing to bed and that's why she's put it? to bed and not realised that he is a morally bankrupt piece of shit. Yes, I think she has. I think that's what's actually happened. Anyway, so how did you meet Kirsty? It was at an open view. She's friends with some other friends of mine. Artists. He frowned. I'm not quite sure why she asked me. Nothing to do with you being an attractive, apparently single man, thought Lorna. Out loud she said, so are you a sculptor first and then a stonemason or the other way round? I don't really separate them. But what about you? Are you an artist as well as a gardener? Well, actually I was. I went to art school, but when I knew I was going to be a mother, I changed to gardening. It satisfies my artistic needs and is a much more reliable way to earn a living. So what does your husband do? Jack seemed stern all of a sudden. Lorna shrugged. I really don't know, we separated soon after my son was born. Nowadays we wouldn't have got married, just because I was pregnant, but then it seemed the thing to do. Even if we were both artists and supposedly more bohemian. She paused. So how about you? Married? Children? This is so boring. Can't we have, can't we have, like, a conversation where you don't, like, this is, this is completely, completely free of actual, like, decision making, actual drama. This is just small talk. It is so dull. Every single meeting of romantic partners is more interesting than this one. Every single one in all of literature and drama. All of them. This Right. Last week, I thought the stupid cheese boy that was dull. This there's no, literally there's nothing going on. There's nothing going on here. Nothing. It is. It is. It is the most boring small talk. It is entirely expositional. But the exposition is pointless. I don't care. She's saying things that I already know. They're doing exposition for stuff they've already exposed. This is so stupid. Cut this fucking conversation. Cut it. Cut it out. Find the event. Find the drama in this and go from there. This is so dull. There's no subtext here. They're so boring. I can't go on. I must go on. <sighs> suppose we'll carry on. <sighs> so how about you? Married? Children? Any more exposition? I haven't any children. I was with someone for some years, but there were no babies. He smiled, a little melancholy. Maybe it was just as well. So now you're single? Maybe you should try the website that brought Kirsty and Peter together. She stopped suddenly, wondering if how they had got together was a secret, and certain that she shouldn't have said that to someone she'd only just met. I don't think so, said Jack, not appearing surprised or offended at what Lorna had said. I think I like meeting people in real life better. Me too, said Lorna. But privately, she wondered how she should go about this. Perhaps the only option was to try and find a boyfriend online. Otherwise, she'd just have to look at Peter and Kirsty being in love all the time, which would be depressing. However, she didn't much like the idea and dismissed it. So she's not thinking about Jack as any kind of romantic interest at all. At least that's what that paragraph has just told me, because she's absolutely thinking about meeting somebody else, literally whilst in conversation with a literal eligible bachelor who she thinks is attractive and is an artist like her. Anyway, she's not considering Jack as a love interest currently, but she's not. It's not that she's saying, oh, I am not interested in you. She simply hasn't. She's not considering it. She's not, it's not even occurred to her. It's not even occurred to her that she is At a party, meeting someone, and that someone could be nice. Now, in this world, where everyone's searching for true love, and they do find it, because this is the world that they live in, because that has been established from the back of the fucking book. It's been established. Why is she not thinking about Jack? This is insane. I mean, seriously, this it's the whole point of the book. Onwards. Anthea came up without her consort. Well, Lorna, who's this? I don't think I know you, young man. Lorna made the introductions and watched with amusement as Anthea studied Jack, rather in a way that Jack had studied her. But before Anthea could say anything outrageous, Kirsty clapped her hands for everyone's attention. Before we go into dinner, folks, I just want to tell you all why we're here. It's not only so Peter's family can meet me. Kirsty's sweep of a smile included Lorna as family. And you can meet some of my friends. It's because this town has a battle on its hands and I think we should join forces to win it. Hmm muttered Anthea to Lorna. I thought there was more to this dinner party than just sociability. What battle? asked Bob the Mayor. I feel like Bob would probably be clued up on this. I feel, like, I feel like if it's an actual battle in the town, the Mayor might know about it. But, guess Bob doesn't. If it's about the supermarket on the Ring Road, much more important than that, declared Kirsty. I know I'm not local. I don't come from round here. And perhaps that's why I see things with a new perspective. So if it's not the supermarket, what is it? Asked Anthea slightly irritably. Yeah, I'm irritated too. It's the cathedral, declared Kirsty. There was a silence. Then, it's not a cathedral, said Bob. It's a very large abbey. And does that make any difference? Demanded Kirsty. There's a thermometer outside that very large abbey, which, if you look at it closely, shows there has been no money raised for two years. It's deplorable. It's a national monument, and you're, we're, letting it all fall apart. Jack, tell us who you are and what's going on in the church. I could have done with a bit of warning, said Jack. I thought I was here for the birds. But Kirsty's right. We do need an awful lot of money. Sorry, said Bob. Who are you? I'm the mason attached to the church. Jack Garnet. Jack Garnet, the precious stone. Jesus. Oh, sorry, said Bob. Uh, I do know your name, but not your face. My fault. I should have introduced him better, said Kirsty. But the thing is, I have an idea for fundraising. What, marrying Peter? Muttered Anthea, only so Lorna could hear. Yeah, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Um. OK, yeah, pause, pause, pause. Time out. Um. Suddenly, Kirsty's got a political agenda to restore the abbey why why do we care is this is this like how the protagonist in a movie has to save the cat to establish their heroicness so that we can invest in them as protagonists like they have to do something good and then we'll uh, invest in their story for the rest of the movie is this is this katie trying to get us to invest in kirsty as a quote unquote good person because she wants to save the church because she's international heritage I mean, I don't know about you, but that's not quite as relatable as other heroic tendencies. I mean, frankly, I'd rather she saved a cat. Currently, it's only one event, but I think there should be a chain of events for fundraising, which would benefit artists as well as the church. Kirsty smiled in the direction of her artist friends, and the event is opening Peter's garden to the public. Lorna choked and had to take a gulp of champagne. What? It's nowhere near ready. No, I know it's not ready now, said Kirsty. But it's still beautiful, and my idea is to have an outside sculpture exhibition in the garden, probably at the end of May, the last weekend. It'll be an opportunity for artists to show off really large pieces, which hardly ever get shown to the public. We charge admission, do teas, maybe have a concert, a whole weekend of amazing events, right here in Peter's garden. Lorna looked at Peter, expecting him to have blanched, fainted even, at this prospect, but he looked perfectly sanguine. Are you all right with this? Anthea demanded of her son, obviously expecting the same reaction as Lorna had. Kirsty has convinced me it's a brilliant idea, he said, beaming down at Kirsty. It'll inspire us to get the garden looking good, he caught Lorna staring at him and possibly noticed her pursed lips and raised eyebrows. Lorna's been doing a great job since we've been here, but she's been desperately under-resourced. And whose fault is that? And she's been virtually single-handed and needs a couple of assistants. And Reg would like a bigger ride on Moa. I think you'd like that too, Peter, said his mother. Well, yes, he agreed. Oh, yeah, plenty of money for your boy toys. Just not enough to pay your fucking staff. And I do think it's time I got more involved. Now I live here permanently and may be no longer alone. He gave Kirsty a very fond glance. I'm so... Oh God, Ooh. Is that what the... Uh in a secret garden is? Is it a wretch? Is it a secret garden? Jesus. I'd like to do something for the community. Oh my God, aren't you great and good? Aren't you great and good, Peter? Good for you, said Lorna. While obviously I'm very daunted at the prospect of getting the garden ready for the public, even if they will be distracted by enormous reclining nudes or whatever, I do think the town will be delighted and grateful to see you taking an interest in local matters.
0: Being that you're a multi-millionaire that owns acres and acres of land.
1: With great piles of money comes great responsibility, you piece of shit. You could stand for the council if you like. No, don't stand for the council. Don't stand for the council. No, you don't need to wield
0: power, just... Be a goddamn philanthropist for once. Lord knows with that kind of money you won't pay in
1: tax. They'd welcome you with open arms, a businessman like you, said Bob. Oh God, Bob's fucking suggesting it. He's already in with a mafia. I'd rather stick to fundraising, said Peter, and getting the house back in full working order. Well, thank God for that. Jesus Christ, fundraising. Fundraising. Just you, just You don't even need to raise any funds, just throw some of your own money at it. Well, I think this is a brilliant idea, said one of the male artists. I'd like to do large work, and there are very few opportunities to show non-commissioned work. And while I probably shouldn't do non-commissioned work, I yearn to do bigger stuff than I usually get asked for. Are you up for it, Lorna? asked Peter, moving towards her. I know it's putting a big responsibility onto you. Give me the resources, she said, and I'm up for it. She gave him a warm smile, wanting to make sure he knew she was completely happy about Kirsty and her plans. She wasn't completely happy at all. The torch she had carried for him for so long would take a lot more extinguishing. But she was withdrawing gracefully. She wouldn't take on Kirsty. If she couldn't get Peter when there was no competition, she wouldn't get him now he'd fallen in love with a dynamo like Kirsty. But she was glad when Doreen appeared, looking unfamiliar in a black dress. Ladies and gentlemen, she said grandly, a dinner is served. Only about an hour late, so we're not completely drunk, said Anthea, sotto voce. And if they've got the temperature of the dining room up above freezing, it may not be total torture. Come on, Bob. Okay. So it's all established that Peter wants to be a philanthropist, but is still a tight ass dick. But he wants to be a philanthropist because Kirsty's made him do it because she is a freelance events organiser, which is so cliched. I just what I'm not getting is the actual feeling of what it's like to be in the presence of these people. When I read a book and I am told a story that's got people in it, the good books, which I tend to try to stick to, they make you feel like you're in the room with these people. Like, really in the room. And you know what it's like to stand next to them. But these people are so broadly drawn they say Kirsty is a dynamo, but what makes her a dynamo? What's it actually like to be in the room with her? Like it, there's such she's she's drawing characters with a sharpie. No one's defined. Everyone's more or less the same. They're trying to make Anthea some sort of some sort of incredibly knowing, dry presence, but I don't think I don't think Katie for Forty's got the got the wit to execute a character like that. I think that's what it is. If, if you've got that wit, you can put put that into a character. But if you haven't got it, you're only ever going to be halfway there. And even Anthea is now just a kind of weak imitation of the character that we know Katie was aiming for. But she just can't reach it. There's no vibrance in any of this dialogue. Like, it's incredibly dull. And everyone everyone just goes along with stuff as well. This is the point. We've We've not had a single fucking disagreement. We are nearly five chapters in. I've got to finish this chapter. We're nearly five chapters into this book. And no one has disagreed with anyone except for Philly's mum whinging about how they moved away. And my question is, who gives a fuck? Like, who cares? I don't care. I don't care about her. It's had no bearing on the story at all. Philly's mother's disapproval has zero bearing on the story at all. Grand hasn't appeared since chapter two. He's simply not there. He's not relevant to the story. What's going on? I wanted to know what Grand thought of Philly going out and doing this job for fuck all. But of course, he didn't know how much to charge for a cake that he made, even though he spent three and a half thousand pounds on a fucking cooker to cook it. I just don't know. I don't know, man. Where's the drama? Where are the characters? Where's the character in the characters? Because all I've really got is names and a few adjectives. I mean, I suppose on a technical level you can say that dynamo is a metaphor, but honestly, I mean, even that's a stretch at this stage. Anyway, let's do this last section, there ain't much left. Lorna, who was escorted by Jack, thought someone, probably Philly, had done wonders with the usually arctic dining room. There was a roaring fire in the grate, a large number of candles, both on the table and anywhere else that could support them, and the floral arrangements were dramatically simple. There was just a hint of smoke in the air, which intimated that the fire might have smoked when first lit. Possibly the many candles were there to disguise the smell. Not as dingy as i feared, said Anthea, more loudly this time. And maybe the food will be edible, if the chef our hostess has been boasting about is any good. Possibly I was wrong to have an omelette before I came. Kirsty obviously heard this, and Lorna saw that a tiny frown flashed across her features. She even thought she heard a little sigh. One of the female artists, Lorna remembered was called Natalie, obviously overheard Anthea. I've had Lucian's food before, he's amazing, really talented. So unless you're a really big eater, I should think it was definitely a mistake to have an omelette first. She accompanied this with a glaring smile. Now Kirsty looked panicked. She wouldn't want her new man's mother offended when she'd gone to so much trouble to get in her good books. However, Anthea took this in her stride. You're probably right, but when you're as old as I am, your stomach rumbles rather loudly if you don't eat regularly. I wouldn't hear it, deaf as a post, but embarrassing to you younger people. Everyone laughed, because that's hilarious. Everyone laughed politely, I think. Well, do find your places and sit down, said Kirsty. Oh, you've done a placement, said Anthea, using... Oh, sorry. Oh, you've done a placement, said Anthea, using the French word. How sensible, and unusual these days, but I'll need my reading glasses. You're here, said Bob, next to me. And you're next to me, said Jack to Lorna, because of course. Lorna found her place and smiled to her other neighbour, Natalie's husband, Jamie. Disappointingly, he gave her a smile that was perfectly polite, but that dismissed her as a woman of a certain age who could be in no way interesting to him. She decided to prod him a little. So if you could afford to buy any sculpture in the world, which one would it be and why? Jamie looked startled. Well, I don't know. I'll allow you to have a house or garden big enough to accommodate anything, so don't restrict your choice because of size. I still don't know, said Jamie. Who? What? Okay, wait, 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 wait. So she's not interested in Jack, clearly, or at least the book has betrayed no interest in Jack, except for we know that the book is making that to be, that's destined. That's absolutely destined. She's not over Peter. She's thinking about dating other people whilst in conversation with Jack. And now she's essentially hitting on Jamie, who is younger than Jack. And and married. married. And again, right, she's asking him a rant. She's picked a question out of midair just to start a conversation, right? She's done that. Why? And secondary question, why are we reading it?
0: Because it's obviously going nowhere.
1: I know what I'd have, said Jack. I'd have Elizabeth Frink's early horse. Lorna looked at him quickly. That's what I'd choose, she said. What a coincidence. I mean, cool. Do, are we supposed to know Elizabeth Frink's early horse? Is this something that the discerning Katie for uh reader would know about? I know what I'd have, said Jack. I'd have Elizabeth Frink's early horse. We don't know what that is. We don't care what that is. These are two people utterly disconnected from us. Disconnected from each other. They say a sculpture. People who are into sculptors would know that. Pretty fucking niche market. This is a bestseller. I guarantee that 99% of the readers of this book have never heard of Elizabeth Frink's early horse. Nevertheless, it is included, and this is the final beat of the entire chapter. Lorna looked at him quickly. That's what i choose, she said. What a coincidence. Somehow I'm not surprised, said Jack. And he gave Lorna a look that made her start. Jamie might have dismissed her as an older woman, but Jack was obviously beyond seeing women only as sexual objects he could see they might have interesting things to say, too.
0: Well, gee, I can't wait to see what incredible narrative significance Elizabeth Frink's early horse
1: has. And that's it. That's the end. That's, that's the whole thing. That's the whole thing. That's the whole thing. That's, that's the chapter. That's they ch- just sat down to dinner. They've just sat down to dinner. That was the whole thing. It was. That whole chapter was pre-dinner drinks. And... It was full of some of the dullest conversation I've ever heard and it was full of precisely zero drama. I suppose the intention is for us to invest in the interior life of Lorna and and the experience of being at that party and dealing with the social machinations of small dinner parties where you don't know everyone and thinking about how to get over a man how to attract another man who is eligible who is interesting and i suppose that there is the the most basic of attempts to sketch out what it's like for a woman in that position but there was nothing interesting in it there were no stakes there was no risk in anything that anybody said or did there wasn't a single moment of genuine awkwardness essentially She went to a party, met a couple of people and everything was fine and now she's considering her romantic options while she accepts the fact that the person she's been obsessed with for 40 years uh, has a partner. This is so stupid and so boring and I know that this will emotionally resonate for some people. I know it will. There's no way that this book could sell that many copies if this did not resonate at all. But is that really enough? Because once again, like this podcast is going on and I'm trying to keep them to under an hour because it's necessary, but nothing is happening in these chapters. There is the tiniest moments of possible, possible actual feelings to be actually felt, but no one's actually feeling or doing anything. They're just there. They're just there. She seems to be scared to actually engage in the emotional life of her protagonists why does she speak so casually about how how she's hurt why is it so small why can't it be heavier why can't she be dealing with something that feels heavy why can't she why can't she feel things that are more than this juvenile feelings it's all so juvenile like i've got a million problems with the twilight series and it's wrong on so many levels like as a pure concept it is fundamentally flawed but i will say this for it at least its protagonist feels things deeply no one in this book so far has felt something actually deeply it seems like the author is scared to actually engage in the real inner lives of her characters she just she just gives them these really kind of vague sadnesses and then a little bit of potential, and then another vague sadness. There's nothing real there because real things are much bigger than that. That's why I can't invest in it. There's no peril. There's no risk. There's no emotional risk. No one's taking any emotional risk. Everything is actually fine. She went to the party and she was a bit worried about turning up. But prior to that, we were told that she just does this and she deals with it and everything's fine. And she went to it and everything was fine. So what did we learn? Nothing. We were told everything would be fine and everything's fine. And then there's these two men and they're not interesting and we can't imagine them as people at all because they haven't been described to us in any meaningful way. They're just these blank slates of people. Like, what is this book for? What does it do? Is it deliberate that these characters are so broadly drawn, not only so that the the reader can put themselves Right in that protagonist position, so basically, oh well, well, she's me. Like I've drawn, I've I've drawn this character so broadly they could be anyone, and so the reader can just say, well, she's me. And then the love interests are all drawn so broadly they can be any person that the reader imagines. Oh they, well, they, they this person looks like the bloke in my office because. I said so because they have not been actually accurately described to me. They have not been constructed. Like, is it like when you is it like when you play a video game and you just have this super generic character and frequently like there'll be a silent protagonist because it's more like it's you. Because if you give them the voice, then it's not your voice. So by taking away their voice, you personally as the player get to inhabit that player. Is it like that? Because it's getting to a point now where these characters are so weakly realized that it feels like it's deliberate and you couple that with the absolute lack of actual risk in the story story quote unquote because honestly there is just nothing going on in this book and all you've got is a set of blank slates bumbling around each other boring me and it seems like they're just existing to bore me and I spend half my time wondering why I'm reading it whilst I'm reading it. But I know why I'm reading it. I'm reading it out loud for you, Michael.
0: I just had a new thought. Is this like um like that like slow TV, like really low intensity engagement? Like um like you might just watch a waterfall or a or a fire burn on the telly or, or, or a train like on the tracks. You just sort to train genre like the slow TV, like really meditative, low intensity stuff. Is this the like slow fiction, where nothing's too intense and nothing really happens and everything's kind of fine? Like is it that? Is is that what it is? Is this a, is this a, is this a kind of notable valid genre of work which is specifically? low in any kind of emotional intensity or is it just bad i don't
1: i don't know so i assume the next thing that will happen is we'll switch back to philly and we'll see what's happening downstairs so it will be like an upstairs downstairs gosford park thing but at least in gosford park there was a fucking murder i could do with one of them oh imagine if peter got murdered i imagine that that would be the best that'd be the absolute best thing in the world murder peter in the house go full Gosford Park and do that thing like in Gosford Park where someone went to murder him and then they're like admitted to the murder but it actually turned out that the person was already dead when they stabbed them so you can't go to prison for stabbing a dead body so someone else had killed them and they got away with the stabbing because he was already dead because it actually meant that lots of people wanted to kill this one person because they were scum and that is More in keeping with these characters. Because the only character I actually feel anything about is Peter. And that's because I think he's scum. And that's it. That's all I got. It's My one piece of real feeling about the whole book is that this guy is scum. And I think that Katie Fafordi wrote a piece of shit into her book by accident. Because I don't think she knows he's scum. And I think everything's going to turn out fine for him. Do you know why? Because five chapters in, it started with everything being fine and it's still fine, right? We are past act one, right? Something should have happened by now. And an event with some sculptures is not drama. So let's hope for some drama in the next episode. Philly's going to have some, I mean, hopefully meaningful interactions with Cheese Boy. But uh, let's be honest. I mean... At least Will Humphrey was funny. Yeah, yeah, cool. No worries. Yeah, cool. Say again? Join me next time on the best books in the world for chapter six of <laughs> Secret Garden by Katie for 40. Sadnesses, sadnesses. Sadness. The best books in the world. The best books in the world. And then another fake sadness. The best books in the world. The best books in the world. And then another
0: fake sadness.